Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, um, Jesus Christ. Amen. Symbols of salvation. That is our theme for this year's Advent. Um, Symbols of salvation. In the Old Testament, there are a lot of things that point us to Christ, believe it or not. And actually, you might believe it more, than, more so now, because this last Sunday, I changed the psalm just a little bit, right? Where instead of Lord, we said Jesus Christ, right? That the scriptures, pro, that the scriptures proclaim Christ, not just in the New Testament, but also, but also in, excuse me, but also in the Old Testament. And we see that here, clearly. It takes some, some inspecting, though, right? We have to look a little closely here. Where is Christ? What does the burning bush have to do with the birth of Jesus, right? How does that have anything to do with God becoming flesh and dying for our sins? Well, when we look at the Old Testament from Exodus chapter 3, we see that capital Lord right there, right? We see that the angel of the Lord appeared to Moses um, in a flame of fire coming out of the midst of a bush. Now, the angel of the Lord, the Malach Yahweh, in the Old Testament, whenever you see that, it's not just some angel. If you didn't know that already, next time you go through the Old Testament and you see that the angel of the Lord comes to somebody, notice, that's Jesus, right? He may not have the name Jesus yet, but it is the pre-incarnate Christ. We see that because the angel of the Lord was in the flame of fire, and then when Moses came close. It says on verse 4, The Lord saw that he turned aside to see. God called to him, right? The Lord, Jesus Christ, the pre-incarnate Christ, spoke to Moses. How much does that change, this reading? It makes all the difference in the world, right? It makes all the difference. Because the burning bush foretells the time when the Son of God would descend to this world once again and take on, and take on our human flesh, our human... Um, take on our human... Excuse me. Nature. So that we would be... So that we would be delivered excuse me from our enemies that the burning bush let me see here the burning bush actually is kind of a conundrum how is it that a bush can burn but not be consumed everything that's on fire eventually turns to ashes right it's destroyed. So, how does this point to 
Christ coming in the flesh. Because just as the bush was created, so is our flesh, right? But God himself decided for our sakes to take on flesh, to take on that created form, though he was not created, right? He took on our flesh, and that fire of his, of his divinity shined forth and did not consume that flesh because our flesh was to be saved through his. You see the connection there? It's a great thing. It's a beautiful thing. And actually, fire has been used by, by, uh, fire has been used by Lutherans to show the two natures of Christ and how they join together in the one person of Jesus. Actually, Luther said they used a, they used the picture of a piece of iron that was heated up to where it was glowing, right? That an unheated piece of iron is, of course, still iron, but when the fire and the heat are combined, it glows. And I can say this iron no, no longer has the qualities of, of has, no longer has the qualities of iron, but it is like fire. You see how that comes together. To be sure that it is iron, but it is diffused to such, to, such, to such an extent with fire that when you see or touch it, you feel that fire, right? But on the other hand, the fire will not accomplish these same things without, that is apart from, that is apart from the iron where the fire burns and bores. Thus, the divine power is present bodily in the humanity of Christ and does what God naturally does or does what the fire in, in the iron does. That only flesh and blood can be seen if you look at Christ, right? Only flesh and blood can be seen, but faith sees a man sees flesh and blood, which is like a fiery iron, for it is permeated with that divine presence, right? Just like the burning bush was on fire, but not being consumed, so God came down and took on human flesh, did not consume our flesh, because God did not come to destroy us. That is the beautiful thing. He did not come to destroy us. He came to judge. Let's get that straight. He came to judge, but judge righteously and graciously. He takes on our flesh through the incarnation so that our flesh would not be consumed by his holy fire. It's a great picture, one that foreshadows for us this great um, this great reality that we have in Christ. That whenever you see in this text um, from Exodus 3, 
Whenever you see that God says, he says, tell them that the God of your fathers has sent you. Moses, it's very interesting. Actually, let me go back a little bit here. It's kind of interesting to see how the birth narrative in Luke with the shepherds tending the field, with the shepherds tending the flock by night, right? The classic text that we always hear on Christmas Eve. It's foreshadowed here with Moses as what? Um, excuse me. Excuse me. It's foreshadowed here with Moses as, as, excuse me, as a shepherd. Because his task would be to lead God's people out of bondage, to lead them out of slavery and into the promised, into the promised land, right? That itself also foreshadows Christ. Because Christ is our shepherd now. And just like here, he leads his people out of the land of slavery to sin. He leads us out of the bondage of slavery, of the bondage of sin and death, and the power of of the devil. He leads us because he is that good shepherd. And it's not a coincidence that John 15 is our next text, where Jesus himself says that he is. He says, I am the true vine. Elsewhere, he says, I am the good shepherd. I am the light of the the world. I am the way the truth, and the life. He is. That is a huge statement. That all throughout the Old Testament, and even to today, there are false gods that try to pull us from trust in Christ. They may have disguised themselves a little bit more so these days, right? The old pagan gods, uh, Baal, Ashtoreth, even if you want to go to the Greek pantheon of Zeus and those guys, right? They all claimed to be something. But in reality, they're nothing. Nothing. God himself says, I am. I am who I am. If you follow these false gods, who are nothing, guess what you are? Nothing. You follow the one who is, guess what you are? You are alive. You are saved. Fill in the blank. I am saved. I am a child of God now. I am with Christ. It makes all the difference in the world. That Christ has come. He has assumed flesh for your flesh. He died and sacrificed his flesh and blood 
so that you would be saved. He died in your place so that you would no longer be dead to your sins and trespasses. No longer dead, but alive. What a beautiful thing. What a beautiful thing to see throughout Scripture. That the Son of God, the great I Am, comes not to consume, not to condemn, not to destroy, but to save. To lead you out of the land of sin and death to the promised land. Thanks be to God for such a great Savior that we have. For because he is, so we are as well. Um, excuse me. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. We will continue now um, praying together the Magnificat on page 248. So please stand. <clears throat> 